If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheiks are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or add a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheiks bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212. This is our number two of the World According to Zig podcast for this September 9th, 2018. My name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of the show where you can still get the truth about the news of the day. From a conservative perspective in this world turned upside down, our number two is traditionally our interview hour for the podcast. This week is no different, and we're really excited about this week's guest, as we usually are. Although when, I, when I'm not excited, I don't say that usually. Occasionally, not not too often, but this time I can uh, sincerely say I'm excited because it's a good friend of uh, me and of this uh, podcast. His name is Matt Lewis. He's a columnist for the Daily Beast and a commentator for CNN, and I'm a frequent guest on his podcast. We've never actually met, but we've become friends by being interviewed by each other on each other's podcasts. Uh, Matt Lewis, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, John, and you know what? I never. I never thought of the fact that I, I don't think we have met actually met in person. It's it amazing. feels like we have. I mean, we're, you know, we've never met, but we're we're friends. That that's the the nature of uh, today's modern media world. But um, so much to talk about, Matt. Uh, and I want to get to as much as as possible in the time that we have. I want to set this conversation up by giving people a little bit of, of a sense of where you're coming from, in in obviously the issue of our times, which is Donald Trump. Uh, you and I agree on most things, not everything, but most things, yet uh, our, our tone is very different, and I, I've always considered you to be, um, I don't know what the right phrasing is, I'm curious what, what phrasing you would use, but you're, you're a kinder, gentler, never-Trumper. Is, is, that a, is that a fair assessment? I mean, I think, it's, I think there are two parts to that. I think one, one is just like temperamentally. I'm I'm not um, I'm not an, an in your face person, and I think you kind of have to be what you are. Like I could probably fake it, but I just don't think it would work. Like it's just not authentic. So some of it I think is my nature. Some of it I think is how I see myself in my role. And I've you know I am a an opinion journalist and a columnist. So even though I'm you know clearly stating that I have a center right perspective, I try to view it through the lens of being a journalist primarily. And I think some other people in, in the never Trump space are more uh, activists or strategists. Um, and so that might be part of the difference as well. 
Is it also fair to say, Matt, that you have at least attempted, although it's become more difficult, I think, recently, to remain somewhat of a bridge between the so-called never-Trumpers and what has now become, for lack of a better term, the mainstream of the Republican Party? Would you would you agree with that? Well, you know what? I mean, I, I think that that's an, I, that would be an admirable thing to do. And I and I think that, like, if, if Andrew Breitbart were alive, for example, he might serve that function as someone who could kind of um, bridge the gap. I might have ended up there. That's never been my mission. My mission has never been uh, to be the bridge um, because that, that implies, you know, some really noble <laughs> goal. Actually, it's been more focused on myself. I, I've just viewed myself, my responsibility day in and day out is to tell the truth as I see it that day and to call balls and strikes as much as possible. If Trump gets something right, I'm going to say it. And if Trump gets something wrong, I'm going to say that. And if that makes me uh, sort of at the nexus of the never-Trumpers and the pro-Trumpers, then, then that's a great place to be. Okay, so many things I would want to ask about that, but i gotta, I got to jump in on the Andrew Breitbart thing. Uh, I'm not sure you know, but Andrew and I were very close at some point before we had a falling out just before his death. I've thought a lot about Andrew and Trump, and um, I disagree with you a little bit. Andrew would have at first been anti-Trump, but he would have gotten on board the moment that it was clear that Trump was going to be the nominee because Andrew was above all else a businessman. And, and, And that actually gets me to kind of the second question about what you just said. This is a business, and... So many conservative media types, in my view, Matt, I don't know, I want to know whether you agree or disagree on this, have really uh, based their opinions and their take on Trump almost solely on what their business model is. And I don't perceive you as a business conservative. You're a guy who, as you said, you're calling balls and strikes for real. Some others, like Ben Shapiro, I think, use that as a vehicle to promote their their business model, which is to be able to appeal to Trumpers and non-Trumpers. Uh, but I think you're doing it more sincerely. But the reality is, isn't it, Matt? Do you agree with this? That most conservative media types have 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 picked a strategy based upon what's going to help or or not hurt their career as much as possible. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's right. And you say most, it's certainly not all, but most. And I think it's, you know, part of it is, um, you know, that they just don't have the character maybe. But some of it, I think, is, you know, sadly, they're responding to perverse incentives. And, I mean, I could just give you an example. Um, I have, pers- you know, I've written a lot of, of columns and done a lot of TV commentary that's, that's anti-Trump. And, um, but just very recently, I've had occasion to write pieces, you know, criticizing um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and um, and defending just Judge Kavanaugh, and um, and I, and and then all of a sudden, there's a there's a the problem with doing what I'm doing is <laughs> it's possible that in the past year I've picked up a whole bunch of of fans and followers and supporters who like me because I'm bashing Trump, and so. All of a sudden now, when I start to criticize, you know, the left, in a sense, what I'm doing is is not smart marketing. I'm alienating a new (laughs) 
base of support, <laughs> you know, right? I'm doing it anyway because I don't let that enter. I don't let that factor into my, uh, you know, my psychology. But I mean, technically speaking, if you were a business advisor, you would tell me, "Hey, man, this anti-Trump thing is working out pretty well for you." I mean, you might have taken a hit initially, but but once you decide to be an anti-Trump guy, you have to double down and own that own that market. And what you're doing now, man, is muddying the waters. Um, and so. Yeah, there's, you know, I, I just don't think, don't get me wrong, business matters. Like, you need, if you're a columnist, like, how do you write a good headline? Like, how do you get people to click on a tweet? I mean, we're all part P.T. Barnum and part William F. Buckley, but just the hope is that, like, the percentage is like 80% or 90% Buckley. Everyone's a little bit into marketing, but what bothers me is the people that marketing drives their decisions day in and day out. That's a problem. That's well said. Let's get into that a little bit, because I, th- I think this is a really important point for people to understand how Trump came about and, and how we're dealing with him and, and what the impacts are. But l- let's be you know, let's use you as an example. Clearly, at the Daily Beast and at CNN, being anti-Trump is not a negative for you. Right. You're, you're not taking any blowback from from either of uh, your employers. Correct. For for an anti-Trump stance. Is that a fair assessment? It's a safe place for you. Right. Oh, yeah. I, I think it's I mean, I, I think that if you look at it in that perspective, it, it is safe. Now, I would argue I would still argue that in the long run, um, you know, my I think my brand and I, you hate to use a word like that, but. Right. What else are you, you know, there's not another word for it. To me, like, I've always thought, like, the thing in the long run that I'm offering is being a, a thoughtful conservative. And part and parcel of that is actually being a conservative, right? So, like, what? Wait, wait, hold on. What? 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 Yeah. So, um, so in the long run, I think that, that, you know, being true to your convictions is the smart move. In the short term, there are all sorts of, uh, disadvantages structurally to it <laughs> well but but let's let's again i want to i don't want to leave this go because i think this is really important so you've said you know because of your anti-trump stance and because of the outlets you're on i, I guarantee you because I, I know the way this works a lot of people said hey wow matt lewis is a conservative we can actually have a conversation with we can actually respect he's got you know he's got some character he, he's willing to stand up against his own party when uh, the facts warrant and then you said, but a lot of those people don't like it when you actually take, you know, actual right. conservative perspectives. And yeah, so like today's a, well, and today is a great example. And, and this is how you and I are on such the same wavelength. Like, I just saw the Serena stuff, did a little investigating into it. And I took a position that probably did not make my, my newfound liberal <laughs> friends happy. And then, of course, you had been there like 12 hours before me. <laughs> I, I, I later find out. But that's a prime example of something where, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure that what I'm doing is the smart thing. If, if I cared about keeping those newfound Twitter followers happy, but that, that can't be my, my main goal. But aren't you really saying, Matt, and correct me if I'm wrong, I know you will, but it sounds to me what you're saying is that there's no market for reasoned truth. That, that that's really not. I mean, there might be a small niche for it if you're lucky, yeah. and but if you have the right platforms and you're on good platforms. But in reality, aren't we living in a world? You referenced perverse incentives. Aren't we living in a world where there's no market? 
for the truth. I think that's absolutely right. People want to pick a pick a side, and um, now I actually you made a very important point there, a very important distinction. There, I believe that there is a a, a niche, <laughs> a small niche that I am trying to, I am uh, shamelessly trying to get everybody who actually wants honest, thoughtful, center right commentary to follow me. Uh, and support my podcast, by the way. Um, I think that there is a, a big enough audience there to support um, commentators and creators, but it is, it is not going to make you, you know, rich and famous. I, I think we could agree on that. There's a much larger audience. There's like exponentially larger audiences if you go to the left or the right and go as far as you can go. By the way, it's not just far left and far right, and I think you're going to agree with me here, I, I know you just used that phrasing because it was easier, but if it was just, you know, being far left or far right, and, and it was based on some sort of philosophical principles, that wouldn't bother me so much. I don't think it would be healthy uh, to be in the extremes, and that's where the incentives are, but it's not about the philosophy of left or right. It's about crackpot conspiracy theories that make the left or the right feel better about themselves on that particular day, right? No, absolutely. I mean, I think you could make a really good argument that I'm more, quote-unquote, conservative than Alex Jones or Donald Trump. I mean, it depends how you define words. And uh, I think we're at a time right now where it's actually really hard to define these sort of semantics battles. I mean, one of the things I've tried to do is not to call people like Alex Jones conservative, but to call them, quote, the right. But again, that is, um, is, is also an imprecise way to uh, classify people. See, I just, I agree with that. And I, I, I also agree, by the way, since, since you mentioned uh, Alex Jones, what did you make of him being banned from Twitter this week? Well, you and I had this discussion on my podcast. And I, I mean, I share your concerns about the slippery slope. Um, however, I think he has clearly violated their their rules, and um, you know, so I am sort of I find myself cheering his banishment from Twitter, even as I am, you know, also vigilant against the the notion that you know that we're going to end up in a, in a world where you know you are deplatformed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, so, I I am very concerned, as you know, I'm very concerned about that, and I and, and I and I think Twitter did a a pretty poor job of defining exactly what it was that Alex Jones did. Yes, they said, yeah, well, we found some tweets that violated our our rules. Inherently, their rules are vague and and difficult to to define. And um, and look, I, I, I we don't lose anything by eliminating Alex Jones from our public conversation as much as possible. I'm in favor of that. The guy is a scourge. He's a cancer. He's a crackpot. However, um, you mentioned the slippery slope, and, 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 you know, I'll talk about myself. As you know, I take a lot of reasoned, contrarian positions that a lot of people at first glance think might be crackpot, but they're not. And we live in a world where there's not enough time or space on Twitter for, for fully reasoned arguments and people can easily misinterpret what you're saying or what you're meaning. And if you take a highly unpopular position, 
I, I just think that's my greatest fear. When we get to a point where highly unpopular positions are not allowed to be taken, otherwise you risk being bounced from a platform and maybe lose your your way of living, your livelihood, that to me is very dangerous. And I, and I think we're inching close to that if this doesn't stop at Alex Jones. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I totally agree. And I think, you know, I think implicit in your concerns are, are the fact that Twitter is no longer just a place to go for a hobby. It is a place where if you were in our business, you have to be mostly. I mean, it's possible you wouldn't, but in general, you have to be there. And if you were deprived the ability to communicate on Twitter, it would dramatically affect your ability to communicate your message and, and to make a living. Oh, so, I, I mean, I, the stakes are very high. Yeah, I mean, and just to use me as an example, I doubt very seriously that I could continue to have a column at Mediate if I wasn't on Twitter. I mean, and so, you know, now I happen to be the one of like three conservatives. I'm not 100 percent sure who the other two are. You might be one of them uh, who really doesn't give a crap about the business angle of this. I really don't. Uh, now, part of that's because I've saved my money and I'm in a good financial position and because my value system is different. But I honestly don't care, which, by the way, I happen to believe may makes me far a far in a far better position to be able to evaluate for instance a Donald Trump because my view is not corrupted by what's good for me business wise cuz I don't care I don't, I don't understand the people who got involved in politics or journalism for money anyway like for me there are a lot of better ways to make money than this and <laughs> this should be this should be – I mean, look, everyone has to pay. You know, Morton Blackwell says you can't change the world if you can't pay the rent. I'm fine with that, right? But if your primary – this shouldn't be your primary motive, right? It should be um, to tell to tell the truth or to have an exciting life or, or to learn things or to, you know, advance democracy. I mean, you could have all sorts of really quixotic ideas for why you do what you do. But, like, for me, making money – the idea that you would get into politics or journalism to make money is uh, is pretty scummy. Uh, I, I agree with I agree that. with that, but it's not just money. A lot of it's fame now too. I mean, you know yeah. this. You know this. I mean, um, you know, one of the most underrated elements of the media is that when someone gets asked to be on a major television show, that's effectively a donation to them. I mean, there's a there's a monetary value to that, both in their ego as well as other elements, like for instance, their speaking engagements, uh, you know, the, their their ability to get their their message out. There's all sorts of residual things that happen when you get asked on television. But it's also for a lot of people, it's like a drug. Now, I, I'm I'm not a drug user, so I, I was <laughs> I was on television a lot when I was young. And I got over it. It's not a big deal. It's a it's a it's a crap medium. In fact, almost all mediums are crap now. But that's another story for another day. But the, the uh, and Twitter is right at the top of that list. But it's the only one we really have to, to use, unfortunately. And that's where Trump is. So that's what that's what runs the world. But the reality here is that a lot of this is being motivated. And I, I love your use of the phrase perverse incentives. A lot of what people are doing in the media is trying to become famous because that's a drug and it leads usually to money or vice versa. Do you agree with that? 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that, uh, <clears throat> no, I will say, I, you know, I think that a lot of people get are attracted to this for attention, and hopefully they hopefully they grow up. You know, there's there's the kind of cliche about the, the kid who starts the garage band. You pick up a guitar, you know, to impress a girl, but then you fall in love with music, you know. Um, but I think there are so many people out there, it's pretty obvious, you know, that everyone today wants to have, you know, everyone, it's the selfie generation. I mean, we're all broadcasting ourselves. Look at all the people who put themselves on YouTube, right? And most of them aren't making money initially. Um, so I think the, the idea that you could divorce atten- the, the need for attention from, like, this business, um, you know. Look, I've always, I've always said that I think this also happens to preachers. I think that, um, yeah. <laughs> especially in the old days, right? So, like, let's say you were, like, in a, in a small town or something. Well, the idea of making it to Hollywood and becoming famous in Hollywood, like, it's kind of a, you know, kind of tough, right? The odds are long. But you could get up in front of a congregation every week and be a rock star for an hour. I just think certain industries and certain jobs attract certain people with certain well, needs. Matt, it's funny that you and, say that, by the way. Yeah. Just to, uh, the preacher thing, I, I don't want to interrupt you, but, but the preacher thing is funny to me because think about all of the high-profile fun- funerals recently where the, the preacher who gave the eulogy got in trouble for creating controversy right. because because this is their moment in the sun to be a star. And and, yep. that, and that's totally. that was what their incentive was. And as far as I agree with you about the, you know, you, you, you as a young guy, you're trying to get laid. Look, I, I'm 51 and married. Getting laid means nothing to me now. So therefore, fame has no value. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean so. No, but I, I guess my thing is I, I think that I think all of us, every single one of us, um, you know, have at some point at least we have an ego and um, and we want some sort of attention and some people want money, some people want fame. Um, I think that's human, but I think the difference is like, do you do you grow out of it and and, and does that become your driving force? Right. You know, like I think you need it's like not you, but the whole check yourself before you wreck yourself thing, I think is really important. Like if, if you are being driven by this need for fame and attention and adoration, if that's a, we all have that somewhere down deep, but if that is like your driving force behind what you do for a living, that's not a good thing. Okay. But let's just square the circle here. Uh, because why, why is this important? How does this impact the the narrative in actual news stories because the reality because politics because politics matters greatly and because um all the people who are you know essentially informing the the, the american pub, public about what's happening in democracy today many of them are uh have again perverse incentives for for doing the way that they do it right and to and to, and to finish that thought the reality is you get asked on television, not for having, boy, let's bring on Matt Lewis today because he had such a 
calm, reasoned opinion uh, and nuanced opinion about this new subject. No, that's not how this works. <laughs> this the, the person that gets attention, you get on Fox because you've come up with some crackpot theory that d- defends Donald Trump, or you get on MSNBC because of the reverse. That's what <laughs> that's what happens. And so, I mean, I've actually had it happen where. And this was not at CNN. It was not where I am now, but at another network, I've had it happen where a producer will say, like, we need someone who's willing to say that John McCain should resign because he's, you know, too old and he's becoming, like, incoherent and, and, you know, he has early onset dementia or something like that. And, and, And if you will agree... To be that person, you will get to go on TV. And by the and way, that's not, that's normal. That's pretty normal. That has happened. Yeah, that is not unusual. I'm not saying that that happens every time. And by the way, sometimes it's less overt than than that. I mean, they know that they they fish for what your opinion is, and if they like your opinion and it fits their narrative or their agenda, then you'll be asked on. Um, and and I, you know, I've gotten so good at fishing this out. I've been, I get approached occasionally, not, uh, not nearly as often as I used to be, but I'll even tell the producer, you're not going to have me on. <laughs> I'll actually tell them that <laughs> as they're, as they're asking me, you know, Hey, can you do this? In fact, I've had people say, we want you on at this time and place. I said, no, you don't. I've actually said that to them. No, no, you don't. You do not. This is not going to happen. And invariably what happens is they go back to their boss and they go, well, yeah, you're right. Uh, we, we changed our mind. We're not, we're not doing this. Uh, well, the pro- I, mean, the pro- I think the problem is the medium doesn't really lend itself well to, if they want to have, you know, a lot of the shows will be like sort of a left versus right fight. And that doesn't lend itself for nuance. You know, if you're, if you're like, well, look, on one hand, I think Donald Trump is really ripping up the social fabric of America. But I think we have to give him credit for a good economy. I think we have to give him credit for uh, for a good Supreme Court justices. Like, you are not – this goes back to the whole thing about the Twitter followers. Like, if you were the guy saying that, you're instead of – you're really pleasing nobody, right? right? So, like, the Trump fans hate you because you're blaming him for tearing up the social fabric. And the Trump enemies hate you because you're you're actually daring to give him credit for the good economy and the judges. So, like, it's really a, a lose-lose situation. Well, I believe, again, this is the phrase of this interview by far, the, the, the perverse incentives now are all about finding, cultivating, and appealing to your own cult. And Trump has done this better than anybody in history. You don't tell the cult things they don't want to hear. So that inherently means nuance is gone. The truth is gone. It's all about feeding the cult. This is what Fox News Channel has done exceedingly well. MSNBC has done it pretty darn well. Frankly, I think the flaw in CNN's business model, although you could argue that they're more anti-Trump than they're pro-Trump, is that they haven't built their own cult. There is no cult of people who want the middle. That doesn't exist. There is because they're inherently not cult-like people. Reasonable people don't join cults. And so, if you're, so that's the problem with trying. That's the problem with what I'm trying to do, which is is to build, you know, an audience of people 
who um, who reject being told what to do. Like it's, it's actually a catch twenty two. It right? doesn't like, work. I'm, no. How do you like build a loyal fan base of people who? are like contrarians and resistant to being no, fanboys. Because right? because human nature is we want, we gravitate towards what makes us feel better about what it is we already wanted to believe. And and the and, and I predicted this in a book I wrote in 2005, that the fragmentation of the media was going to destroy the entire structure because now instead of having limited choices to find your truth. Now you you got a buffet table and you can pick for yourself. Oh, this is what I already believe. Let me find somebody that substantiates that belief, no matter how crackpot they are. And and that's why Alex Jones somehow has a rather massive audience and and makes a lot of money apparently. So yeah. uh, and so to me I'll give you credit for being ahead of the curve because that, yeah, that helped me a lot, Matt. That, that, being, see, that's the other thing. Being ahead of the curve, Mitt, Mitt Romney uh, very uh, wisely said that the most important thing he ever learned from his father was that, and I'm paraphrasing, is that one of the worst things that a man can do is to be right too soon. Yep. And, and, uh, I think that's true. And he was referring to his father on Vietnam. I, I frankly think that all of us who are in the never Trump category are going to experience exactly the same thing because, oh, yeah. because no matter how much of a disaster Donald Trump turns out to be, and it is possible he could still be an epic catastrophic disaster, the likes of which we have never even conceived of. I think that is still very much on the table, even under that scenario. People like, like me and to a lesser extent, you are never going to be made whole because nobody, nobody is going to admit they were wrong. They will blame it on something else. They'll, bl- they'll blame it on the establishment Republicans not supporting him enough or the liberal media just wanted to destroy him or some deep state crackpot conspiracy. And, and frankly, I, here's the scenario I believe will happen, Matt. Even if, even if Trump is a complete disaster, I'm curious if you agree with me, I believe that people like you and me will still be branded as traitors to the cause because we will have proven that we weren't loyal enough. No, I think you're, I think you're exactly right. I mean, nobody says, Oh, Trump turned out to be horrible. You were, you guys were so right all along, man. We should have listened to you. (laughs) Like there's, there's no reward for being too far ahead of the curve. And in fact, I think there's a penalty, I think there's a penalty for it, you know, um, I, I think that, you know, again, one option would be that we caused it, you know, <laughs> if we had, if we had only supported him, he wouldn't have had to go crazy and do all the horrible things he had to do. Uh, I, look at Nixon. I mean, I, I don't have any great examples, but it just, it strikes me that like the people who stuck by Nixon until it became untenable and then flipped on him probably prospered more than the people who jumped off the bandwagon sooner? I don't know, but probably. That was a very different time. A lot of people have tried to make the uh, the analogy yeah. to Nixon. Nixon did not have Fox News Channel. And I, yep. I, I believe that if Nixon had Fox News Channel uh, and, a, and a couple other – and Twitter. <laughs> I mean, my God. I mean, Twitter – it's a huge benefit to Trump. He is able to get out his most perverse message possible 
the reddest of red meat to his base with no consequences. No, no ability to, to question him about it. No follow-ups. Nixon did not have that. And Nixon did not have a Fox News channel. And therefore, therefore, the, when Barry Goldwater and other Republicans uh, in the Congress turned on him, there was no penalty for that. The Fox News channel wasn't there to scare the crap out of all those guys that if they betrayed Nixon, they were all going down with him. So I'm of the belief that there is, I do not see the scenario, Matt Lewis, where uh, Trump ever really gets brought down. I mean, barring, I mean, I'm talking like some sort of 9-11-esque situation or an an economic disaster at least as bad as what happened in 2008 barring something like that if we if you know barring a black swan event i just don't see how any of this ever changes i mean his his approval numbers are are steady effectively as a rock uh, right around 41 percent and so um that you know i i have i have uh you know conservative friends who work at for at least one in particular at a very pro-Trump media outlet who is convinced Trump's going down completely. And, and I, and we have this constant argument and I've, I've bet them a dinner that that is not going to happen. And they are every week. They're more convinced. I get texts from them all the time. He's going down. He's going down. I'm like, good luck with that. Good luck. with. What do you, what do you it's make of that? Say, but I, I, I mean, I would say, you know, if you look at like, let's say Nick, Nixon and Clinton as, as the latest two examples, I mean, you know, you could imagine a scenario in both cases, and of course, not you know Nixon was resigned, and and Clinton was impeached but not removed. But in both cases, you could imagine a sort of a postmodern world where nobody changes their mind, and everyone who likes the president just says like, "Hey, that's your that's his truth, man." Like this is like you guys say you have a videotape of him breaking into the Watergate. That's your truth, man. But <laughs> we, you know what I'm saying, like, right? No, it just could be that the postmodern world, it's like nothing really matters. Nothing you know? matters. Nothing matters with Trump. And because partially because he has purposely desensitized us to his own insanity. I mean, and we say this all the time, but th- literally this week, Matt, there are four or five, at least four or five things that in any other presidency would have been month long controversies and scandals that. Didn't even last two hours. Didn't yeah. even, didn't even. Do you agree with that? I completely agree, and I would say I think that there's a a political benefit to Republicans. Believe it or not, um, I think that I can't even remember any right now. But I've definitely definitely seen incidents where Republicans down ballot have made gaffes or had scandals that. In, in a news vacuum, would have the mainstream media would have all gone to. Omaha or, you know, Little Rock or wherever these politicians, these Republican politicians are, and, and that would have become a scandal. And it, it just, everybody moves on because I, to, Trump tweets something. To, to me, the, the, the most amazing example, uh, and there were a lot of commentators who thought this was his worst tweet ever, but at the beginning of this week, the president of the United States ripped his own attorney general 
his first major political endorser, the guy he appointed to the job because he allowed the Justice Department to indict two Republican Congress people running for re-election. Right. Now, right. now, now. And do you know that I cover politics for a living? Um, and I think the first time I knew about those indictments, might no, I, I did hear about them a little bit before, but basically the most attention they got was when Trump tweeted about them. <laughs> okay, but but in a different world, you could have the major news story being, you know, Republicans in trouble, they're about to lose control of Congress, and uh, and, and corruption is run amok. I mean, remember remember in 2006, the whole, you know, swamp story with, with oh, delay and all that. Uh, I mean, no, no. The, the, what they did with Mark Foley in 2006 uh, pales in comparison to, to all the things, I mean, that one tweet, I, I, I actually texted my good friend, a Democratic congressman, John Yarmouth from Louisville. I said, if you guys don't make sure that every single voter knows about this story, you don't deserve to get the majority back. Uh, and, and they're not going to because they're terrible at this. And, and, because, and, and because the media is so dumb that they get distracted over everything. I mean, that is scandalous, that, especially from a president who got elected saying, drain the swamp. What? 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 I mean, so let, let, let's talk. Oh, so your focus, okay, I, I get what you're saying. I thought you were talking about the fact that nobody cares about these two, you know. That's part of it, but the bigger <laughs> issue is the president of the United States right. saying right. that so his own yeah, attorney I mean, general should have protected Republican congresspeople right. from indictment to protect the majority. What? And the fact that we're not completely apoplectic about that. Right. It, because he is, you know, desensitized. Can you imagine? Right. Can you imagine Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton? I mean, it would, but Sean Hannity would be outside of the White House setting himself on fire. I mean, it was, it's, 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 it's unfathomable. Uh, and yet that was, that was just one of many things that happened this week. Yep. Now, now, you said, Matt, that you like to call balls and strikes with Trump. And, and I want I, and maybe we'll disagree on something here. Uh, we, we, you know, this is a fascinating conversation. We're not disagreeing very much, but that's okay. The, the, but I take issue with this idea that Trump has done good things. Um, now, look, is the country in as much of a disaster a year and a half into this as it could be? No, thankfully not. Um, but I'm trying to figure out what is it. it let me, let's take this in two uh, different tracks. The first is the general and then the, the specific. In general, Matt, I'm of the belief that Trump is way worse at this than my worst fear. I thought he was uniquely unqualified. I said that time and time again from a temperamental standpoint. His makeup was just horrible for the presidency. But even I did not anticipate the, the tweeting, the behavior, the, the hypocrisy, the scandals, the corruption, the, 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 the abject uh, um, rejection of the rule of law, the, the, the acting like a king or a dictator. The, I did not anticipate he would be a Vladimir Putin suck up. I, I, didn't, I did not. In, so, so to me, in general terms, as bad as I thought it was going to be, to me, it's been worse. Where do you stand on that? Well, you know, it's hard to it's hard to go back in time, but I think he's pretty much, you know, Donald Trump is who we thought he was. I mean, this is who I thought he was based on 
the things he said. Right, but you didn't you remember. think didn't you think he might grow into the job that you know that this magic thing might happen where where he becomes somewhat mature? He told us he wouldn't tweet very much. I mean, didn't you think that was possible? I thought it I was thought possible. It was, I did. I thought it was. Po- I thought it was possible. I don't think. I don't think I thought it was likely. But I certainly believed it was within the realm of possibility, and I was certainly holding out hope for that. Right. I mean, at, at some point, at some point, if you you can't stop him, um, you have to hope for the best. And so I hoped that he would mature, and that there would be that elusive pivot. Yeah. Okay. So so I, I don't get in the general terms because I've seen this. I mean, and, and I you know how cynical I am about you know cash conservatives. Um, you know, people in the media who are, are basically in this just to make a buck or to stay famous or whatever. But I, I'm seeing a lot of this narrative among Trump's skeptical media types that, you know, somehow he's been better than we feared. And I'm <laughs> like, what? What In what world has he been better than we feared? And I guess that kind of goes to the second part of this, which is the specifics of that he's actually done a great job. I mean, of course, he's telling us he's the greatest, literally, he's telling us he's the greatest president of all time. And, and, and you've mentioned two things that get cited a lot, the economy and judges. All right, so let's take this one at a time. Can you explain to me, Matt, and I'm serious, what has Donald Trump done to have credit for an economy that, when I look at the stats, is at best a continuation of the last couple of years of the Obama economy. And frankly, I'm someone who believes a president doesn't really get credit for an economy for at least four years after he takes office. So on what basis does Donald Trump get credit for a supposedly great economy? Well, I guess first I would start off with the caveat that, you know, I'm not sure it's fair that that president to get credit or blame for an economy, especially early on, but they do, fairly or not. Um, the economy is very good. It is true that it's the continuation of a, a trajectory that was begun under Obama, um, but he hasn't messed it up well, that we know of. Wait, 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 um, and, and that the, takes time! Uh, one, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. And the same thing, I would actually say the same thing with foreign policy, too, right? Like the fact that we're not involved in a major, you know, war right now or foreign policy uh, crisis could also be, uh, you know, again, he could be setting the seeds or setting the stage for something very bad based on his behavior now. So that's all a caveat. The one area where I think Trump uh, might overtly have helped the economy has to do with the deregulation. I do think. Okay, well, can you t- give me an example, please? Because I, because I, I, and I, I will admit that that it's my jaundiced view, although it might be accurate view of who Trump is. I'm not buying this deregulation thing. It smells like bullshit to me because because <laughs> be, no, I'm serious because he he lies constantly, and I never hear a specific example. So when I don't I hear. Mean, I well, and I'm not the I'm not probably not the man to give it to you. I mean, okay, I so you don't I have one either. Just for the record, well, you, no, but I haven't no, but I haven't written about this. Okay, I but mean, like I'm not blaming you for that, Matt. I'm just saying yeah, I'm, I'm just saying that like, you I'm cited deregulation. Put, Isn't it possible that you've bought in to Trump bullshit there? It is possible. I can tell you that what that my information is more anecdotal. Like talking to people who tell me, you know, hey, we. 
we have more business than we've ever had. I'm having to hire more people. Okay, but I'm having, to turn, I'm having to turn down clients, and I ask why, and they say deregulation. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. Like, I haven't written about this. All right, but Matt, I haven't, like, delved into this. All right, Matt, how many of these people are Trump supporters? Actually, they tend to be people sort of where we are. They're conserv- They're definitely conservatives, hmm. but they're, okay. people, who would, they're well, people who would tell you that they like Trump personally, but that um, they don't like the tweets, let's say. Okay, well, that, so they're basically Trump supporters then. And and so, to me, if this feels like uh, this is an echo that Trump has masterfully created this uh, this uh, self-fulfilling prophecy. Where I mean, he- look, I think, I, look, I'll say this too. I do think some of what drives the economy is confidence. I agree. And, 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 it, and it's based on perception. And so if it's things like, I don't know, the clean power plan or, you know, some of this may not even really be tangible or like right. some arbitration rule, like, or are we going to be sued because we, okay, so didn't, what you're have saying, diver- uh, okay. we didn't have enough diversity training? Right. That so, could be based on the fact that Trump has created an illusion <laughs> um, that they believe. All right, and I agree with that. I think that that is as close to reality as we get. Um, and I'm open to this. If some, I, I keep a- I've asked dozens of times, please give me an example of these vaunted deregulations. <laughs> um, and I've never gotten one th- that I was remotely uh, satisfied with. But what you're saying makes sense to me. That because he keeps talking about the fact that he has created all this deregulation, that that it has created the psychology that there's less regulation, and thus people who kind of like him trust that, and they become more aggressive or less fearful in the business environment, thus effectively creating the same result as if there had been actual deregulation. Is that what you're saying? Yes. I actually think this is a theory, and you've actually expressed it more eloquently than I did, but I actually think there's something to that. I agree. It's insane. It's insane. It's it's very 1984-ish, but okay. So so I we've now gotten this is this is good. We've gotten the best answer I've ever gotten in in, in response to my question about Trump's deregulation <laughs> that it's not real, but it's effectively real because he's created the perception that it's real. Um, okay, and so so anyway, I'm not. I, I, I am not buying at all, and I think the tariffs are going to hurt the economy uh, long run. I think the tax cuts, and I'm a big tax cut guy, but since when is it conservative to cut taxes while increasing spending? I'm not, right. I, I, that's not a conservative concept. That is, in fact, in a weird way, that I, you could argue that's actually more socialist than it is uh, uh, capitalist or conservative. And so, I, you know, the idea that we got a tax cut, which is basically a loan from China for our great grandchildren, doesn't really excite me very much. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it could, and this will this will prove your point, maybe. But I think it could stimulate the economy. Um, temporarily sure but i think yeah i mean at some point we have to pay the bill well we're gonna pay we are gonna pay that's been my number one theme about trump forever we are gonna pay a massive bill for maybe the rest of of my life and your life 
uh, as conservatives because of this party that that people that uh, you know we didn't agree with decided to have, uh, and uh, and and that's the part that pisses me off is that you know, that we are we are going to be forced to pay for this for freaking ever, and we're getting almost nothing out of it now. The one thing we are getting out of it, and this has become, you know, infamous, is but Gorsuch. Okay, we right. got we got we got Gorsuch out of it. That's good. Um, Gorsuch may not be Scalia, but he's certainly you know probably better than Garland. But by the way, not that this is not going to eventually happen, but I'm always like, okay, so what's the Supreme Court ruling that we've had so far that's dramatically different that really impacts my life because Gorsuch is there. I mean, eventually that'll happen, but it hasn't happened yet. So, okay, fine. I'm happy that Gorsuch is there. I don't think he gets any credit for assuming Kavanaugh gets uh, 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 actually confirmed because Kennedy would not have retired if Hillary had won. So, so the idea that he, you know, a lot of his his people like to give him credit for two. Um, eh, I'm I'm not there. Are you on? Are where are you on that? Yeah, no, I, I I hear what you're saying about about that. Um, I think that he he's made good picks. I would have picked Amy uh, Amy Barrett actually uh, this time around. I wrote I wrote a column kind of making that argument. But it's hard if you're a conservative. It's hard to argue that these two picks aren't very good. They they are very they are good. I agree. Knows, I agree with that. I agree with. That. By the way, I agree that Mitch McConnell did a good job of picking his judges. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> McConnell actually did, and it's funny how much shit McConnell takes from people for being like a rhino sellout. When in fact, McConnell arguably delivered the presidency and at least one Supreme Court justice. You could argue two, maybe if you if you buy the argument that 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 swayed people to hold their nose and vote for Trump. So, um, no, I look, and, and I think the Supreme Court is a big deal. This is the long game, and I think it's been a thirty-year plan. It's the one thing that conservatives really got right is creating that infrastructure via the Federalist Society to not only uh, vet nominees, not only help nominees get confirmed, but also basically groom young academics and intellectuals to, uh, to actually become the kinds of people who might someday be nominated. Well, no, and I look. Uh, I think that's great, and and apparently in the lower courts, McConnell's done a really good job on that too. So, thank goodness for for Mitch McConnell. I never really thought I would say that since he and I had a big battle when I was in Louisville. Uh, but you know that that's a positive. That there's there's no question, and I've said I've I've made the analogy that Trump is a hurricane. And a hurricane mostly does damage, but the hurricane also brings rain where places need rain. So you know, there's even a good element to a hurricane. Uh, and, and maybe the judges are the, the rain in, in, in arid areas. Uh, I guess, though, it's, it, I don't know that it's going to keep me warm during those uh, metaphorically cold winter nights years from now when we're paying the price uh, for Donald Trump, that yay, we've got more conservative judges right now than we would have uh, without Donald Trump. I, I guess on the on the bright side, it might delay. Maybe I'll be able to die. I, I'm hopefully going to die in about 20 to 25 years. Maybe I'll be dead by Lord, the Lord willing. <laughs> right. So so I'm hopeful that maybe what those judges will do is that my land as a white male here in California will not be legally confiscated from me yet before I die. 
because uh, that's about the only thing those judges judges are going to be able to hold off. Because we, in my view, Matt, we are the backlash, whether it's in November or down the road, the backlash for what we have wrought with Trump is going to be pure, total socialism on steroids. Do you agree with that? Well, I don't know what the future holds, but I do believe that Donald Trump has, um, by breaking norms, invited more breaking norms. By being, you know, by, by destroying civility, has invited more incivility. And um, I think every action has an equal and opposite reaction. And so it's it's naive to think that this storm blows over or, you know, goes out to sea and things settle down and go back to normal. I don't know the degree to which there will be ramifications and uh, and all that, but, uh, you know, he has unleashed certain things on this world that, that will have to be dealt with. Last question for you, Matt. Um, obviously, you're a CNN commentator. You spent a lot of time there. CNN more than any, well, not, I shouldn't say any other network. I mean, obviously, Rachel Maddow's show has done a lot on this. But CNN has certainly done a lot of investigating into the whole uh, Russian uh, meddling and the Mueller investigation. What is your sense of where that is heading? Well, I nobody, you know, the, the caveat that uh, I don't know, but my guess is that we're going to end up uh, with a situation where Donald Trump, you know, there's no evidence. Well, look, we we saw him on TV say, hey, Russia, if you know, if you know where the emails are, you could argue that that is collusion. You could? Um, really? I think you could, yes. And then yeah, if, only, know, was there, if only there was a videotape of him asking Russia <laughs> right. to help get the emails, then maybe we could prove collusion. Wait a minute. Hold on. There is. Right. And then things like, you know, firing James Comey. You could certainly make a case for obstruction of justice. I don't think that's going to happen. What I think is going to happen is, you know, we're going to look back and you're going to say, like, well, the president's national security advisor is in jail. The president's campaign manager is in jail. The president's, uh, you know, son has been indicted. (laughs) You know, I think that I don't think that this probably touches the president. um, But I do think that. The, you know, it, it, we're going to look back at all the people around him. And I, I don't know if you remember this this or not, Dick, but I remember Rush Limbaugh used to say, like, you look at the Clintons. How many of you guys had a best friend who committed suicide? How many of you have a best friend or a friend that's been indicted? How many of you know people who are, you know, went from being broke to becoming millionaires? You know, he went through this whole, like, all these weird coincidences surrounding the Clinton. How many of you have friends who are in jail, you know? And that's kind of what I think is going to happen with Donald Trump. Um, you know, he may he may be fine, but... Uh, the, now, I'm curious, you know, Matt. It's an interesting way of looking at it, but, Matt, I'm very curious. I want to make sure I'm, I, I nail you down on this. Are you saying that you think that Trump is literally, effectively innocent, or that they just won't have the goods on him enough to where uh, Mueller will do something dramatic? I don't think that they will have the the kind of evidence that you would need to have. Okay, but what would you need? I mean, my God, we, <laughs> we, we've already talked about well, there's a video. I mean, I'll, give you, I'll, I'll give you an example. Like, <clears throat> you know, the, the thing is, for example, if Donald Trump were to fire Jeff Sessions and then fire Rod Rosenstein, 
you can make an argument that is within the constitutional purview of the president. And to call that obstruction of justice, that is a really debatable thing. So Donald Trump can do really egregious things that it's not clear to me could even bring him down. You know, uh, I, I don't think you could indict a sitting president, for example. It's very it would be incre- the bar for doing that. I just think is is. Not insurmountable, but incredibly high. I've already been very much on record that he's never going to be removed from office. I think he's got a hell of a chance of being reelected. So maybe we're talking about two. <laughs> no, I mean, well, I don't know. I don't know if I define hell of a chance, but I give him fifty-fifty chance. No, I think the Democrat. The Democrats are going to blow it by nominating some screwball. So, so, yeah. um, so anyway, maybe we're talking about two different things. But in in my view, he's clearly guilty of obstruction of justice. I believe there's clearly been a conspiracy to collude, whether or not how you define the actual collusion, I don't know. And it it would stun me that it, Trump hasn't been lying about for his financial ties to Russia for many, many years in what might include uh, illegal money laundering. Uh, now, Yeah, no, I think that's the really interesting thing that almost never gets brought up is if, in fact, it turns out that there was a a pre-existing relationship where Trump owed money to Russia uh, and was there's some compromise because of that would be very interesting. And and, uh, I mean, if, if, if it exists, I think Robert Mueller will find it. All right. Well, um, it's going to be that will be interesting. Uh, unfortunately, I'm sure it'll all get screwed up because um, <laughs> I've lost I've lost all faith in justice in our entire society. I, and uh, to me, this is O.J. Simpson all over again. I mean, we saw it before. It's going to happen again. A lot of his tactics are very similar to how O.J. got away with it. Uh, although I actually think that Trump is more well, some of the same lawyers, right? Some, oh, I mean, Alan Dershowitz, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know. By the way, the part of uh, uh, of uh, uh, the Kardashian in this is actually Kim Kardashian and and Kanye West. Right, she's playing the role of Robert Kardashian. I mean, there's I've actually written columns about this, but the but you know the the reality there is one big difference. You know what the funniest difference is? Trump is way more panicked than OJ ever was. Yeah. Which, which I think is interesting. I think when I'm looking at this psychologically, uh, I am uh, I'm pretty convinced uh, that that Trump, you know, his own psychology says that he's guilty. I forgot. I got I got to ask you before we leave. Who do you who do you think wrote the op ed? Do you have a guess? Um, nobody specific. I think it's a. Uh, I would say a, somebody a George W. Bush holdover. Some somebody in the. Uh, you know, senior bureaucracy or something from the Bush administration, just because I they went to all that trouble to talk about, like, tariffs and <laughs> stuff like that that seemed random. I mean, look, I'm against tariffs, too. I'm a free trader, but that's not at the top of the list of reasons that I would want to, like, blow the whistle on. So Donald you don't Trump. think it's anybody famous? I don't think it's Nikki Haley or Mike Pence or John Kelly. No, I, I don't think so. What, okay. what do you think? I tend to agree with you, but here's my thing. If it's not somebody famous, the New York Times had no business running it. None. None. No, I I think it was probably irresponsible for them to run it, and especially irresponsible for whoever wrote it to write it, because I just think 
there's nothing good that comes out of it, but right. plenty of bad stuff. All right, Matt, it's been a real pleasure. That's a, a real fun and interesting interview. Where, where can people find you, connect with your you and your podcast, what have you? All right, read me at The Daily Beast, and uh, check out my podcast, Matt Lewis and the News, on iTunes. Matt, buddy, always good talking to you. Keep in touch. Great talking to you. All right, that's uh, Matt Lewis from The Daily Beast and CNN, and with uh, – I think probably one of the more interesting hours of conversation you're ever going to hear between two, uh, I don't know if Matt would call himself a never-Trumper, but he's close to being a never-Trumper, an almost never-Trumper and a real never-Trumper. But thanks again to Matt Lewis. As always, I uh, only ask two things of you. Uh, well, actually three. Make sure you listen to hour number one because we we're loaded for bear on the news of the week. And share that via social media. Share this, that's number two, via social media, Twitter, Facebook, word of mouth, what have you. And number three, do yourself a favor. And if you're one of those people who sleeps and when you sleep, you use sheets, pay attention to this important message. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.